As we approach the new year, Gary and I make a few general predictions about what we may encounter in Tennessee and across the Fruited Plain. And if you ever wanted to be rich, well, this episode might give you a little assurance that you are not unique. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and with my good friend Gary Humble, this is the Freedom Matters Podcast. Like this isn't like Christmas shoes or something like that, is it? No. <laughs> you don't know this classic song? Not that one, the intro. Met my own lover in the grocery store. Kevin. The dulcet tones of Dan Fogelberg? I have never heard this song in my entire life. Gary. Never. This song was a classic in the eighties. Ever. Oh, that line now that that ring. That line rings a bell, yeah. But I, but it's it's something I've just like heard in passing. So, being that this episode will go between Christmas and New Year's, <clears throat> this is a New Year's song called okay. "Same Old Lang Syne." Hmm. Oh my gosh, it's one of the most picturesque lyrics ever written in popular music. It is. Wow. Well, the song tells such a. When we talk about theater of the mind, there's no one who captured theater of the mind better than. Dan Fogelberg in this song. Well, if you're like me, maybe there's others of you hearing this for the first time right here on the Freedom Matters mm-hmm. podcast. <laughs> and if so, then you've been under a rock for many years. So, that's so funny. happy new year to come, right? I think this might be the first, maybe maybe the second. Yeah, I don't think I've heard one of those ELO songs. This is maybe the second song that I've never even heard. Oh, wow. Wow. I was just getting excited that you were like not as far off the beaten path as I thought. No, I'm way off on this one. Well, Gary, being that New Year is right around the corner, what do you think 2024 holds? Oh gosh, in the state of Tennessee and nationally or internationally? I don't know. That's a, that's a loaded question. What a question to start the podcast off with. I mm-hmm. think think 2024 probably holds a lot of uh, oh a lot of fights. <laughs> <laughs> a, a lot of um, ideological warfare, even in the you know, and I'm thinking specifically, even in terms of our own party, like in in terms of are what are amongst you know people that would consider themselves conservatives. Like I'm thinking about two things in particular, you know, the uh, school choice debate coming up here in Tennessee, you know, and I'm sure lots of other things that that will be happening happening uh, in the legislature here at the state level, but also we have a, a very contentious. Uh, presidential primary coming up, mm-hmm. which seems to um, do well in dividing those who call themselves Republicans. So, yeah, I, I mean, honestly, um, when I think about 2024, I'm, I'm, fe- I'm feeling it to be a very contentious type of environment. And you keep hearing, as we all do, about the chaos and the cataclysms that are coming our way. What's interesting is in 2020 or four years ago, 2019, we didn't yet expect what was going to befall us in 2020. Mm-hmm. And yet the people who were controlling the big lie of 2020 knew exactly what they were doing. Now, as we hear about, um, you hear about a number of things, but you're familiar with that uh, movie that the Obamas wrote yes. and and released about end of the world and a big collapse of the internet. Yeah, I've I've, I've seen a couple of clips and and read a, a bit of commentary on it. It's it's pretty incredible. 
that and another movie coming out called Civil War, I believe. Mm. Also, both of which could fall under the category of predictive programming, right? Mm. Trying to condition the American populace to to be comfortable or accepting of these tragedies that are being planned behind closed doors. Which, with what we've experienced the past three or four years now, I've I've come to realize that's really what all of Hollywood's been. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, we've been through so much predictive programming; it's it's quite yep. incredible. And I'm I'm sitting here thinking too. Gosh, you just that question you asked. You know, what do you see coming in 2024? Can you imagine if we were doing this podcast in 2019? And you asked me that same question. What what, what I'm, I'm asking myself, clearly I would have been incredibly wrong. But I wonder what my answer would have been, you know? What do I see coming in 2020? And I think for all of the bad, for all of the fear-mongering, for all of the dangers of which we're aware, the principal difference, and I think it's a very good difference between 2019 and and 2023, as we go into an election, presidential election year, is that so many more people are aware of what could and can and might and may happen, right? In Four years ago, most people wouldn't have believed that, wait, our CIA is against us? Well, they've been against us for decades, but now you have a an entire class of people who were otherwise had their heads in the sand, and I don't even mean that disparagingly, just going about their business, thinking that business as usual— but now are very aware that the government is our enemy, that we have been declared the enemies of our own government, and the potential for deliberate action against our liberties now is on everyone's mind. So that that is very good news because being forearmed, right, is being forewarned. Forewarned is being forearmed. We at least can prepare and know and not just go along with it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and I was even... I'm thinking about a text. I wasn't planning on talking about this at all, and I don't want to get into the subject, but I'm just thinking mm-hmm. about a text I got this morning from a friend uh, here in the area, someone that follows our work. But you you mentioned people are so aware of all these things that are happening. And, you know, I had someone text me this morning concerned about uh, chemtrails, you know, for yep. example, which yep. we haven't really talked about on this show. And, that, and that, that's one of those things like there, there's so you start getting into what we suspect may or may not be happening with these 5G towers, mm-hmm. what's going on with these chemtrails, why are there all these lines in the sky? Yep. And, you know, it's it's like no one, I think, wants to talk about it at length because we're fighting on so many fronts and we're trying to gather information and become aware of so many things that perhaps we don't really understand. So anyway, I because of that text, I dug into the chemtrail thing a little bit this morning. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite incredible. <laughs> there... You know, they call it geoengineering, and and it's and they they spray this stuff in the atmosphere for a couple of reasons. One, it is in fact to control weather patterns, but two, um, there's this belief that you know, and, and it's aluminum something yep. something is part of the compound. It's definitely aluminum. And they they believe that this particulate somehow is going to slow global warming <laughs> yes. and, and block the sun's radiation. Exactly. That's part of why they're doing it. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, but of course, without really considering the ramifications of what this may do, you know, in the future. But yeah. but when I was, you always find though. Here's the here's what I want to get to. As I'm watching some clips in and researching this a little bit this morning, this guy put together this video that had a clip from Lyndon B. Johnson back when he was president, mm-hmm. 
who is giving this speech. He's I don't know where he was. He was wearing a graduation cap with a tassel. I mean, it looked like he was giving a So a not spe- a tinfoil hat, a graduation hat. Right, a graduation <laughs> hat, yeah. And it, so it looked like he was giving some kind of a commencement speech of some sort. And he said, so this is on video. This is a former president of the United States. He says the words. He talks about geoengineering, and he says, he who can control the weather can control the future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm Hello. like, they're saying it. <laughs> Bicycles don't pollute. You know, <laughs> it's 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 interesting on all of these things that we that we're labeled because you know whether you talk about the vaccine or chemtrails or five G. You know, we're we are, we're conspiracy theorists, mm-hmm. right? But almost without fail, you can go back in time and you can find where this is not new information. Right. This has been discussed. For decades, but so many of us are just now coming awake out of our slumber, primarily because of COVID, because prior to COVID, I think the great majority of the population, we just, we trust our government. Right. And that is, again, why I believe that's such good news, right? Nothing has changed with regard to the plans of the globalists. They have proven, and now we have abundance of evidence that we look at differently, are discovering, or say, wow, I can't believe that was actually admitted. But it's it, it, this is nothing about a change in their plans and their object. They are completely full throttle ahead to do what they've always been intending to do. The difference is, until 2020, most people were not aware of it. And only on the fringes, what we would call the fringes of society, would talk about these things. And everyone, including myself many times, would dismiss them as just, even if I believed they were true, I thought, this is not a relevant topic. Well, now, all of a sudden, they're interconnected, and everyone knows and can talk about in advance what is coming, which is really important. Because if you know a storm is coming, you can take cover, right? If you know a war is coming, you can prepare for that war in ways that they can no longer do a surprise attack. And there aren't going to be as many people. We know the world is still, there's a lot of people who still put on a mask. There's a lot of people who will still inject themselves with who knows what, right, under the belief that it's going to protect them from every possible um, calamity that's coming. But there are millions, tens of millions, and I would say probably hundreds of millions of people around the globe who now are aware and watching and alert. And I think that's really critical for our pushback, for our ability to get through whatever these next things will be. We're on, we're on guard, aren't we? Yeah. So when you ask the question, you know, what do I predict happening in 2024? Uh, I, I don't know that the, the human mind can comprehend <laughs> what, yes. what potentially is going to be coming for us in 2024. Um, I don't know. Is it is it going to be another one of those pivotal years? Um, I don't know. Certainly, we have a, a critical, a very critical presidential election in front of us, um, and certainly we're going to watch. You know, most likely some uh, some very serious election fraud play out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, or is the big switch going to be turned off before that even happens? So. Yeah, yeah. So. They won't call it election fraud. They'll just call it a national emergency. Can't have an election or sorry, the the tools don't work. Like, I don't know about everyone listening right now to this podcast, but for me personally, and, I, and I'll speak for my, my household, my wife as well. I think, I think, Kevin, we're ready for just about anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, how can you not be yeah. like at this at this stage of the game? I'm just like, I'm ready. 
I'm I'm ready for almost whatever. I mean, if Jesus comes back, I'm ready. And that's the most you know? important thing to be ready for, right? <laughs> what whatever it is, whatever 2024 brings, uh, I'm ready because I feel like our minds, at least my mind is in the space right now. I'm I'm ready to accept whatever reality surfaces in 2024. And I think that that frame of mind, that orientation is important to responding properly, right? And to being prepared. I was thinking of this, Gary, also. Historically, we have thought, right, we're in a war with our government. We're all, we, we, the governments for years have pushed war, but war traditionally and war historically has always been geography versus geography, right? Nation state versus nation state, or even city state versus city state, if you go back to the Greco Roman days. But we now, the, the orientation that is so important that we grab hold of. And, and really be convicted about is that the war that we face today that goes on every day is no longer geography versus geography. It is a class of people, the globalists, and they, they are in all nations of the world, all nation states, versus the free citizens or those who wish to be free. And I know we can break those down into smaller categories, but broadly speaking, there is this war going on against the elites the haves, those who wish to control the world and everyone else. And it exists now. It's not just a matter of, uh, we used to be able to take for granted that in America, we could assume that everyone in America basically held the same values. So we could go to war to defend our liberty against another nation state. But now we don't know whether our next door neighbor or the person three houses down the road or, or across the neighborhood not only doesn't share our values, but is entirely opposed to our values, so that war exists in our communities. It's it's always been a war of ideas, but now that war of ideas is internal because technology and the ability to, to reach and to speak throughout the entire globe has transformed the way that war and the nature of that war, and I think that's important, too, to, for, to understand that, so we're not just thinking geography versus geography, nation-state versus nation-state. The war that is at play right now and that we must be properly oriented to is a war of ideas that is fought every single day within your own communities, within your own cities, within your own states. And by fighting, from our perspective, by the way, to be clear, I don't mean that our fighting should be a physical fighting, even though it is frequently taken against us in physical forms, but we must be aware that those are the battles that we're fighting, and it's in our own neighborhoods because of this battle of ideas that's been raging forever. Very true. And on that, I mean, you you were using it in a different context, but you you kept bringing up the word war, which which started me to think. I, I also believe, unfortunately, I, I would hope that this wouldn't be the case. However, I believe that 2024 will be another year marked by war. Mm-hmm. I don't see the Ukraine-Russia conflict going away. I don't see the current conflict in the Middle East, um, Israel-Palestine thing. I don't see that going away. I feel like the powers that be are positioning. They've got things where they want them, and we're on a track of of progress now. Yep, and it will include China. Uh, absolutely. Yep. I mean, I think Taiwan. Yeah. Well, we've been suspecting that Taiwan is going to be attacked by 2025. Hadn't that been sort of the yep. the stated? It's it's kind of the juxtaposition between the Taiwanese elections and the U.S. elections. So yeah, it's a 24, 25. This is 
I didn't mean to interrupt, but but to your point, yeah, war. But I also believe, yeah, Gary. O- overall, I just expect to see things in the world escalate towards. Not, I'm glad you mentioned China. I, I wasn't really in my mind stirring, you know, where those conflicts may or may not be. I just believe we're going to see an escalation in conflict between nations as 2024 progresses. But with a key difference, in the past, I think it was easy to assume that those conflicts, those conflicts were only what appeared on the surface. It's a fight between <clears throat> Israel and Hamas. It's a fight between Russia and Ukraine. It's a fight between the U.S. and China, or specifically Taiwan and China, <clears throat> at first. But now I hope that people are understanding that these wars <clears throat> are kind of proxies for the real war that's behind it, which mm. is globalist, elitist, to whatever they need to do to accomplish, to strike fear into you and say, Gary, <clears throat> we now need to change the entire monetary system. We now need to change you know, the controls of the internet and free speech because, and they'll name the bad actors, right? So if the internet goes down, <clears throat> excuse me, the internet goes down prior to the election, which I expect in one form or another, they've been projecting this and predicting it and getting us accustomed to this coming. They're going to blame it not on the CIA, who's going to be the likely culprit. They're going to blame it on Russia or perhaps China, but they will not, when in reality, they'll be doing it to us and to ourselves. And I think that that's what we need, how we need to look at these wars, not just take them. Yes, it is true that China has its historical and political reasons for enforcing itself and pulling Taiwan into what it believes to be its own territory. But don't ever forget that the United States and the globalists also will use that to accomplish their ends to get us to, again, surrender our sovereignty and our liberty. Which means it will be that much more difficult for many to recognize who the good and who the Mm -hmm. bad guy is. You know, it's just like... You look around at, at Republicans, for example, split on the issue over Ukraine and Russia, and you, you see, you know, these homes out there with Ukraine flags and some mm. of these mm-hmm. elected representatives with their little Ukraine pin. I'm like, you know, I, I get that. Yeah, Russia's always been an aggressor, and, and Putin by no means is a great guy. Right. But you cannot position Ukraine as some benevolent Nope. nation here corrupt you know? as all get out so like there is no good guy and so i, I just think that's only going to get in 2024 that's only going to get more and more difficult but even though we have those external threats and concerns i want to hear about what your son thinks about the future didn't he say something to you <laughs> When last we're, night or something at the dinner table you told know, you what his future held? Yeah, I love I love my family. <laughs> my family is so great, and we have a good time. And last, you know, my I've got three little boys. They're five, ten, and twelve, and we're having dinner last night. And my my little five year old out of nowhere just goes, uh, "Hey, I uh, I want to be rich. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be rich." <laughs> I'm just like, you know, and don't we all? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and. thank you which which is a great point because it wasn't like you know rich in confidence or rich in kindness or rich in gentleness rich in the knowledge of god no no, he He was talking about he wants money money. (laughs) (laughs) like so so did you ask him where this came from why now and and what what kind of 
you know, you, you know what not, drove this? Not really. We were just outburst. sort of laughing about it at the time, but I think I think I sort of want to go back and investigate a little bit. It was just out of the blue, and we we were all just laughing about Wait, it. So. You, so you really didn't ask him at that moment? No, oh, no. That's so my incline. If one of my children said that, I'd be like, really? Why? What do you mean? I need to know where this came from. <laughs> yeah, we just we just had fun with it in the moment, and uh, we I. I Pulled that old 1980s, I think it's 1989 song, I Want to Be Rich, yeah. <laughs> off, of, off of Apple Music, and we just had some fun with it. So I, it, it, Isn't funny. that funny, though? It's It comes from somewhere, and it just gets you curious about what goes through a child's head. Have I told the story about the time I ran into Mr. Crawford and asked him how much money he had? Didn't I tell you? Yes, yeah, yeah, you did. Yeah. So that when you yeah. said that, when you walked in, I thought the same thing. And I was about the same age. I think I was about five years old. And I just wanted to know how much money my next door neighbor had, who was the town millionaire and, you know, learned pretty quickly. You don't talk about those things. Perfectly, <laughs> perfectly legitimate question, I think, I was, you know. I want to be rich. <laughs> I, I, have a, I have a niece who's an adult, has her own family, beautiful children. But when she was about five years old, I asked her what she wanted to do when she got older. She said, I want to have a bunch of little people working for me. And she little, she didn't mean diminutive in stature. She meant she wanted to um, be the boss. And sure enough, she runs her own business now. So she is well, the boss. And, and God had planted that leadership in her at a very young age, even though it came out funny. Which is a great thing to bring up, because as we've been painting this very, uh, you know, sort of negative, quasi-devastating picture of 2024, I just need everyone to know, my, my five-year-old is very optimistic about the future. That's very good. <laughs> so... Because he will be the future leader of America, right? right. Not That's us. Right. We'll be we'll, in our old old clothes and rocking chair. Or Amen to that. So a little, a little young optimism uh, can go a long way. So that's good. Do you think he'll he'll have Skittles in his future? Skittles? Why yeah. is that? Because he, he's a champion Skittle oh, the, player the at game, my house. The game, yeah. no, Not the candy. Hey, the I, was thinking, I was like, well, I don't think we're, no. Um, man, that old Skittles game, for those of you who, who know this, uh, when did that come out? It's like a 60s, 70s kind of a thing? No, it's older it, than that. It has to be older than that because I was born in 67 and my father had it from years prior to that and I just grew up with it. It was there. And as Gary's alluding to, we have this little game and for those of you who are familiar with Skittle, Skittles, it's about, oh, four feet long, three and a half feet long. It's a little box and it has um, look like miniature bowling pins that you put all over the board and each one has a point structure and you pull a top to try to knock them yeah, down. With you a pull, string. Pull the string yeah. and um, and that's all it is. You can't control it once you pull the string. Well, well, Gary's youngest son was the champion Skittle player at our house. And so <laughs> my boys love it. They 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 want a Skittles board. So I'm trying to find one. It's like they're like a hundred bucks on eBay or something like that. Yeah, so. it's a great old school game. But see you know what no I, you video. Know, you know what I can't find though? The, the see you have Royal Skittles. Yes, we <laughs> So I've learned I've been as I've been researching this, like there's Skittles, which kind of like there's Royal and then Skittles. there's Royal Skittles. And I can't find the Royal Skittles. So if anybody has a Royal Skittles, let us know. For for reasonable price. Yeah, because <laughs> I'm not parting with mine. It always provides good, good, fun and games. What I like about that too, by the way, Gary, is that Royal Skittles is like reading a book vis-a-vis -vis games. So I'd rather read a hard copy of a book as opposed to looking at it on my phone. I'd rather read my hard copy of the Bible and the scriptures instead of reading it on the phone. I would much rather play a game like that 
um, than a game that is a digital game. I've never been good at video games, even when they came out. You know, I wasn't interested in Pong when when it was the big thing or Pac-Man or anything like that. But a game like Skittles is true old school. Doesn't hurt my eyes. Right? Yep. Doesn't doesn't wear them out. Don't have to look at a screen. Just and it doesn't even take much talent. <laughs> It's just it's kind of it's kind of like gambling, right? You don't put any money on it, but you you pull the string, and the rest happens beyond your control. I feel the same way, and at the same time, I feel like you know we I am turning into one of those old people that I used to, you know, decry when I was young. You know, I I remember even in church, like being a young worship leader, doing all the new music, and of course, you had the older folks in the church, like, well, why don't you ever sing any hymns? You know, <laughs> and so and I used to think, oh, these old fuddy duddies. And now I'm one of them, you know. I, I feel the same way. It's kind of funny. You always become that person. Um, well, some do. I am. But I'm happy becoming that person. I'm fine with it. I'm fine with aging. Uh, hey, I wanted to bring up just a couple of um, mm-hmm. kind of Tennessee things that are going on on Twitter, you know. And and it, it's not that, um, again, I don't want to always talk about the school choice issue on every podcast, but I feel like we're going to be talking about it a lot, Kevin, because it's just yep. all over the place. But I, I mentioned this not just for school choice. I mentioned this because, and, I'm, and, and again, I'm not kissing butt here. I just want to put out there, I really respect and want to continue to support and champion our friend, Representative Jody Barrett in the Tennessee State House. I mean, that guy, he, he's just, you know, he's one of those elected officials in my mind, from what I can tell, is willing to stand on principles and say things that may not necessarily earn him stature by his peers. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not he he does not seem to be concerned about campaign contributions. He does not seem to be concerned about the PACs and special interests. He does not seem to be concerned about his uh, committee appointments. You know, from Speaker Sexton, he's going to speak his mind, and so he. He tweeted something about the school choice, which, again, is when you think about the Republican establishment leadership right now, it's kind of counterculture. They're all yep. like school choice is the way to go. Mm-hmm. Well, Jody Barrett, is, is, if you recall, he's been on our show. This guy is a, a homeschool freedom champion. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he tweets this. He says, quote, any homeschool must be registered with the state and follow the same rules and regulations for receiving public funds close quote, still no language from the governor to review, but plenty of comments like these about registering and monitoring homeschools, hashtags, no thanks, and hard pass. Man. So so, so we already know that. I didn't even know that until right yeah, now. Yeah. And he's. We had concerns about it, but that tells us everything we need to know. Yeah. I mean, there there are legitimate concerns. Jeez. But, uh, but I wanted, you know, so, so here's, you know, Representative Barrett, you know, standing firm on his principles and, and making sure that you know, these things are not in the bill. And so this guy, Michael Lofty, who we had some a little bit of negative interaction on Twitter over this same thing. He is the state deputy director of Americans for Prosperity here in Tennessee. Okay. Actually, he took James Amundsen's old okay. job. Um, Hi, James. Yeah. <laughs> so but AFP is one of those organizations that's, you know, pushing school choice. You know, we just got to have it. It's the right thing. Mm-hmm. So he gets he tweets back at. Jody and says, trust me, and I just want to say this because the... Trust me. Yeah, yeah. What are you, God? Yeah. He (laughs) says, trust me when I say, we will not accept any such attempts 
as a hostile poison pill amendment on this bill. Those spreading this narrative are simply trying to kill the movement to put control back in the hands of parents. It ain't going to happen. So two things here I want to, you know, for one, folks like Michael Lofty and AFP are demonizing any elected official and anyone else who is advocating for this position, who is who is simply out there saying, hey, we're we're going to make sure we stand firm on protecting private interests, mm-hmm. private schools and homeschoolers like we're, we're not going to relent on that issue. And so, you know, in, in classic fashion of sort of a leftist tactic. You know, if you say such a thing, you're you're not trusting the the right, right. people. You know, you're just gaslighting, is yep. what they say. God, how dare you advocate for freedom? And but the other thing I want to point out is this this idea. He says, "Trust me when I say we will not accept." I, I just it's it's the it's the hubris mm-hmm. of that statement. I'm thinking, brother, you're a you're a paid lobbyist, mm-hmm. and you're responding. To an elected state lawmaker, and it sounds like he's threatening him. Yeah, right? well, political well, threatening. I mean, or or <clears throat> it's, or it sounds like you're really confused as to who actually has the constitutional authority to do anything. Mm-hmm. When when I, when I think when I'm saying when someone's going to tell me, trust me, I'm going to do whatever. I'm thinking, well, then do you have the power to execute on this thing that you're asking me to trust? Like that's an elected official who holds that power. Well, they think they do, don't they? Because if they didn't believe that they had the power in in this case michael lofty of afp he wouldn't speak that way would he no so whether it's true or not he truly believes that he has the power we we have and that's just this mentality it 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 really frustrates me there are i think everyone should know there are stakeholders there are uh, paid actors, you know, Corey DeAngelis is another one. This national, I know that name. Yeah, so he's he's a senior fellow for the American Federation uh, for Children, who is uh, under Betsy DeVos, who's the the national uh, organization that's pushing school choice. Pronounced DeVos. That might be DeVos, yeah. And you know, Corey on Twitter actually calls himself a school choice evangelist, and you know, he's taken the same position. He's now all over every ear in Tennessee about, you know, school choice is going to happen. We're going to make this happen and all, you know, it's just this whole special interest lobbyist atmosphere where these people literally wear the mantle upon themselves that they run the tables here mm-hmm. in in these state legislatures. And it, it, it bothers me. Seems very paternalistic too. Like, don't question me. I know what I'm talking about. And it, it's very insulting to me just as a citizen when someone says that because it tells me that they're not interested in me being curious. Don't be curious, Mr. Citizen. We've got this for you. Yeah. Like, no, this is, that's not how a republic works. But it does concern me, Gary, and this, we've talked about this issue before, that even though you and I and our fellow citizens have the constitutional authority, do we actually still have the power? Or is the power in the hands of paid interests who don't have to worry about elections mattering anymore? Right. Well, yeah, the answer to that question is we, we have power in so much as the folks that we elect that we've endowed with that power are, are willing to answer to the voters. But um, fewer are. Fewer right? seem we're, to be. We're encountering fewer and fewer we saw this in <clears throat> not just last year. We've seen this in increasing measure. We can send 
a thousand people down to Legislative Plaza and they won't even get a hearing, right? It shows clear interest. In the old days, that would work. That meant something. Yeah. Now, what it, it tells me that those in positions, even though they are elected, those in those elected positions don't feel, they feel impervious to the people. And that's a concern. It tells me that they believe that their security, their uh power security, their, their, their ability to make decisions on our behalf and against our will in many cases is determined not by the people voting for them, but is determined from another source. Yeah. So I, I wanted to bring that up because, you know, I see these interactions on Twitter every now and then, and, and I talk to Representative Barrett um, fairly often. And uh, I, I just, we need to continue to have folks like this. We need to have their backs because it, it truly is. We, we are experiencing a time, not just nationally, but I mean, this, there's, this is no more truer, even in state politics, where it truly is a battle between the people and these special interests. And, you know, right now in Tennessee, when it comes to the school choice issue, I can't think of one, honestly, I can't think of one local parent organization or a school board, which that really doesn't matter to me, you know, a group of uh, local, a locally elected body. But I just, I don't, I can't find a group of citizens that is voicing all of this support for school choice. It's only coming Mm -hmm. from special interests. It's coming from AFP. It's coming from 50 can. It's coming from, the American Federation for Children. It's coming from all of these organizations, which ought to raise a, <clears throat> a big red flag, right? Yeah. Well, you would think, <laughs> and and you would you would think it would also in the minds of of all of these representatives are going to have to vote on this stuff. Like, what are you hearing this outcry for school choice from the public, from your constituents? Or are you hearing it from special interests? That should matter to you. And we've heard it from the public. For many years, the question we must ask is, why suddenly are those who didn't care about school choice so aggressively for it, which suggests to me that they figured out a way to put these dangerous things in it to accomplish what they've always wanted to accomplish and then call it school choice so that all the people that wanted school choice historically will just go along and say, hey, it says school choice on the surface. I'll take whatever's in it. Well, I think there's momentum, too. You know, this this started, again, um, really spearheaded by Betsy. Is it DeVos? DeVos. Really spearheaded by Betsy DeVos, uh, who was U.S. Secretary uh, mm-hmm. of Education under Trump. Trump. And, you know, she's advocated for school choice for years. Well, under her tenure, you know, you saw, begin to see a lot of states come online with school choice. For example, uh, Arizona back in 2018, and then and now I think there are nine states. So this session, if if passed, I believe Tennessee would be the tenth state now to pass uh, these school choice or education savings account initiatives. So anyway, I just bring that up, and I and also thought it was interesting because people are saying, you know, well, Gary's just gaslighting. Gary doesn't know what he's talking about, whatever. So I found this quote. I found this quote interesting. Uh, let me pull it up here. Yeah, here it is. This was actually a, a radio interview between Michael Patrick Leahy and this Corey DeAngelis guy um, who, call, again, calls himself a school choice evangelist. He's, he's, he's really the main, I would say, he's the main, at least Twitter advocate for school choice. Mm-hmm. A statement I've been putting out there a lot, trying to get people to think, is that 
At the end of the day, when you think about putting tax money into the private sector, homeschool and private schools, the the end game, yep. once the regulations follow, private school will be the new public yeah. school. I mean, that's the goal, right? I mean, if, if unless we can if we can't see the forest through the trees, if if you're just believing the mantra that the government just wants to give you free money. And it's all about eliminating <clears throat> true freedom in education. It's a uh, they will eliminate homeschool as an option, right? Unless all you're talking about is teaching my children in my home, but having a government official tell me what curriculum I'm using, having a government official grade me, having a government official come to my door, right? This is all the end of that kind of process. Yeah. So so I've been walking around saying, look, the the end game of this thing, private education will become the new public. Ed- there won't be a such thing as private education. So here's a quote. Uh, from Corey DeAngelis in this, in this, I think this was yesterday. Um, listen to this mm-hmm. quote, quote. So those fear mongering about school choice saying it's going to hurt public education in some way. My first response is, well, public education doesn't have to happen in government run schools. It can happen in private schools too. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not even sure what his, who is he targeting for a second? Because it, it sounded at first like he was targeting the the left, who always complains that having these school, having any choice, would hurt public schools, right? right? Hurt government schools. But then he says, "What?" Well, then he says, "My first response is, well, public education doesn't have to happen in government-run schools. It can happen in private schools too." What the heck? Like, we're, like we're, in other words, well, that doesn't not, sound like a slip of the tongue. That sounds like a very planned statement. Yeah, like we're not getting rid of public education; <laughs> we're extending we're it into ext- your home. <laughs> that's right. I mean, I'm like it. It's just, and I don't know if it's a Freudian slip or if he meant to say it that way. But it's just like when when you see things like that, when the folks advocating for this actually begin to say the thing that you've been walking around mm-hmm. warning about, and remember. Terminology is important. I think we need to get over this. It's a euphemism to call it public education. It's never been about public education. It's government education. Right. And if we keep calling it public education, then it sounds like it's all good faith. But the government is the one that's going to be determining what you learn, what you don't learn, what is true, what is not true, when you can learn it, where you can learn it. And that's a better way to put it. In, in my view, whether it takes two years, five years, ten years, the goal is Government education will not only be in our public schools. They will be in our private mm-hmm. schools. There will be no more private education. The, the Kevin, why, why do we call private education private education? Because it's private. <laughs> because it's funded by private money. That's literally mm-hmm. what makes the distinction. All right? But now we're pretending that we're going to have private education with public funds. Yeah, I'm I'm here to tell you, you will not. Follow the money. Always will get you the answer. And if you're taking the money, then there's always strings attached. So anyway, um, I just wanted to give a little kudos to to Jody, Representative Jody Barrett. Good on you. And when does session start? Session begins January 9th. Wow, right around the corner. Yeah, it's coming. January 9th, and, uh, you know, as usual here in Tennessee, you can expect that to go, you know, end of April, beginning of May. It's usually right around there. And because it's an election year, they usually try to close it faster, right? They usually try to close it a little bit quicker. Which means more shenanigans get things shoved in at the end, right? Yep. 
Uh, also, there's been, you know, inside baseball, everyone's wondering when the, every time session comes in, there's a bill filing deadline, which last year was like the first week of February. We're expecting that to move much quicker, probably more like the third week of January, because um, this is the second year of this 113th General Assembly, right. which means when they go back into session, they don't have that week of committee assignment and right. getting their offices ready and all that. Yeah. That's already done. Go. So we just based on that, we expect the bill filing deadline to be much quicker. So um, there, once session starts, there won't be a lot of time mm-hmm. to get more bills filed and all those types of things. So they'll, they'll be coming fast and furious. Mm. So watch the scorecard, right? Fun, fun. Yes. Yeah, so be paying attention to the Tennessee Legislative Report Card. That's tnreportcard.org. Well, Happy New Year to you and your family, Gary. You as well. And, uh, you know, I look, again, I'm, I'm going to try my best to be like my five-year-old. I want to be an optimist. I want <laughs> Are they going to say, I want to be rich? No, well, <laughs> well, yes. I mean, of course. <laughs> sure. If the, the Lord would have it that way. I would love to. But um, no, I, I want to be optimistic about the future. I don't want to be a big Debbie Downer all the time. But I, but I will say, though, I, I do walk into 2024 um, with great trepidation. And um, and believing that we will we will be experiencing some very difficult times, some very um, hard to discern the truth types of moments. Uh, I do believe we can we will continue to see war and talks of war proliferate throughout the nations. And um, so, what you're saying is, be with us. Buckle up, Buttercup. Buckle up, Buttercup. That's right. Get ready. If you'd like to learn more about Tennessee Stands, visit TennesseeStands.org to donate, volunteer, or get more information about what we're doing to preserve liberty for the people of Tennessee. You can also follow along on all social platforms at Tennessee Stands. As Thomas Paine reminded us, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigue of supporting it.